I read one of the craziest stories that came out of World War II. It was one that comes from the Nazi uh, concentration camps, and it, it seemed like this guard announced that a shovel was missing from one of the work details, and he was screaming. He was irate at the men, and, and, he, and he shoulders his weapon, and he starts to point it at all the prisoners, and he, and he begins to say something like, that I'm going to start killing one prisoner at a time until somebody confesses to stealing this shovel. And those who witnessed this later wrote that it was like the man was possessed by something. He was just completely in a rage. It was like a demon, they said, was on him. And as he's screaming at the men, ready to, to kill one prisoner at a time, he, he eventually, he, he, as, he's, as he's kind of moving his way through the crowd, just screaming at him, he says, one person writes that a, a Scottish soldier not even a Jew, stands up as the guy is saying that I'm going to kill all of you, quote, Jewish scum, one at a time until the shovel's found. This Scottish soldier stands up. He says he stands at attention in front of the vast crowd and says, I did it. I did it. And then it says that, uh, that this enraged German soldier walks over to him puts a gun to his head and blows his head off. Incredible. And I want you to think about who, who does this kind of thing? Because what later on, we learned that, that it says that later that night when the detail got back, they wrote that they took a count of all the shovels and the German officer made a mistake and there was not one shovel missing. But who does this? And I don't mean just who does the killing because we know that evil's everywhere in the world, but who does the thing where somebody would stand up and take the punishment of somebody else when they know that there's gonna be a high price to pay? Who does that kind of thing? Friends, let me tell you something. That there is not one word of scripture without value, not one. But there is one verse, in my opinion, that stands above the rest. One verse that carries with it weight and truth. One verse that, that carries such clarity of thought with it that it literally holds, I think, the entirety of Scripture all within its own little words. It's a verse that I learned as a kid growing up. It's a verse that I taught all four of my children to memorize because I think it conveys the heart of God better than any other verse. And it goes something like this. Maybe you've heard this before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I don't know if you've thought much about the love of God. I don't know how that verse hits you. I don't know how this thought hits you, but we say it around here all the time that God loves you, that God loves humanity, that God is for you. We say this all the time. But if you really ever thought about that. I don't know where you are with this thought that there is a creator God out there, maker of heaven and earth and maker of you. And he chooses to know you. He wants to know you because he loves you. I don't know how that settles in your soul, but I'm gonna tell you something, friends. At both of our campuses, especially you people on video, this is really for you. God really does love you. He's crazy about you. And my hope is tonight, as we work through, or today, as we work through this, that, that you will see 
that God loves you and he's always loved you. And we're gonna go way back in the Old Testament to see how God's love plays out in the New Testament because it starts way back. And now we're in this series called Old School, right? And, and some of you have been traveling with me through this series through the Old Testament part of the Bible, right? And, we, and now we're in this book called Isaiah and we're kind of wrapping up Isaiah. We've been saying that Isaiah was one of the great, what? Prophets, right? And, and the prophets, they... They spoke the voice of God to earth, right? They, 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 their job was to see the world like God saw the world and, and they, would, they would speak for God, they would preach for God and, and sometimes that came off as angry and sometimes that came off a little bit crazy, right? But, but they weren't angry, they weren't crazy, they just saw the brokenness of the world like God sees the brokenness of the world. And they wanted to do something about it. And so they pleaded with humanity not to miss the voice of God in their life. But we've been saying that more than that, more than that, they, they weren't only prophets, they, were, they weren't they were just preachers, I should say, but they were prophets, they were seers. God gave them this ability, this special ability to see forward, to see into the future, and they would, they would begin to write with incredible clarity of the days to come. And we would call these men prophets, right? And some of you, we started to un- uncover a little bit of this over the last couple of weeks, right? And it, it got crazy, some of the stuff that they wrote in advance is, it's just crazy how this could play out. But you saw that, didn't you? Well, Isaiah, he, he loves to speak of kingdoms and how they would rise and how they would fall. But he loves something way more than that. He, he spoke of this Messiah who was to come. This Messiah who would bring a new kind of kingdom to earth. Something that was gonna be totally different than the world had ever seen before. And so Isaiah begins to speak of this Messiah over and over and over. And and, and you can understand if you've been kind of traveling with me through the book of Isaiah, you can see how these words would begin to resonate with the people of Israel. Why? Because the people of Israel were were people who were conquered over and over and over. They, They were under the rule of one oppressor after another oppressor, one iron fist after another iron fist. And so they start to hear Isaiah's words of a, this coming Messiah who's going to rescue them, who's going to deliver them. And they're starting to go, yeah, that's what we need. That's what we're talking about. We need this Messiah, the one who would deliver. That's what the Messiah means, the one who would deliver us. And so they start to dream as, as they listen to Isaiah's words. And they start to dream of the days of David. When David ruled with power, when the kingdom was united and the kingdom was strong and they were ruled by no man. And they longed for that and they wanted that. But literally, for hundreds and hundreds of years, from the days of Isaiah, all the way through and after the days of Jesus, the people of Israel were a conquered people. They were a dominated people. And so they longed for this Messiah. And so who ruled when Jesus was born? Anybody remember? Who ruled the world? Come on, who? Rome. Caesar. Rome. And it was like a bloodbath for hundreds of years in Israel because of Rome's rule. And they were a broken people. They were a desperate people. They were a beaten people. But the people remembered Isaiah's words. They remembered Isaiah speaking of this Messiah to come who would change everything. And in their hearts, they start to long for this coming Messiah. They're crying out and they're praying for the promised Messiah that they had been praying for for 700 years. 700 years. 
And they're still remembering Isaiah's words. Now I want to take you to a scene from Jesus' life. This is 700 years later after Isaiah speaks of this mighty Messiah to come. Listen to what, what happens in this. This is an amazing thing. So it's found in the book of Luke, chapter four. And I'm just gonna read some of this to you and I'll, I'll give a little color commentary as we go, but listen to this. It, it starts in chapter 14. Chapter four, verse 14, it says, Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the spirit. He, you know, we talk every once in a while around here about feeling led by the spirit of God, right? That you feel his voice, that you hear his voice and you follow his leadership for your life. Well, well Jesus had the same relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. He's following the Holy Spirit of God to a town called Galilee, which is like a region. It's like, a, you can think of it like a county or a state kind of a thing. It's a big area. And then it says this. Um, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And that was common. Anywhere Jesus went, it was like, ooh, rock star. People came, right? And so they're all gathering around. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. They're like, wow, I really like this preacher. I really like this guy. He's funny. He says some cool stuff. He makes me feel good. You know, I get all bubbly inside when he's around. And so they're all kind of praising him and going, wow, we kind of really like this guy. But then look what happens next. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So Nazareth is within Galilee. It's a smaller town within Galilee. So he goes to his own hometown, right? And on the Sabbath day, that was their church day, they went to the, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. Apparently, Jesus went there all the time, and he was part of the deal. He was one of the rabbis. He was known as the teacher. Do you remember this? He was known as the teacher. So he would come in, and they'd go, oh, the teacher's here today. Let him talk. And so he stood up to read something. All these people, and he stands up, and it says this, that they hand him a scroll of the prophet who? Isaiah. They're still looking for the Messiah. They're still reading his words. And Isaiah says there's gonna come a Messiah who's gonna free you, who's gonna deliver you, it's gonna change everything. And they're reading this. And so Jesus stands up to be the reader that day, the teacher that day, and it says that the scroll the prophet was handed to him, right? And in unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. He's like flipping through the pages, but he's unrolling the deal, right? He's like scrolling on his phone, you know? He, he's, he's, he's finding the place. And look where he finds. Jesus says this to the great crowd. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Isaiah's words. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners. And they're like, yeah, baby. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're talking about. Come on, come on, come on. Bring some more, bring some more, bring some more, right? Because he says, I have come. And they think that he is thinking, they're, that, they're, that he is speaking of this coming Messiah. And so they're like, woo, freedom. That's what we're talking about. But it says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight or for sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They were like, that's what we need. That's what we need. We need God's favor to fall on us again. We need God's hand to put our empire back together again. We need God's hand to push out the Romans once and for all and to set up our kingdom again. And look at this. Look what happens next. This is amazing. He's like, I'm done. He rolls up the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant and he sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were on him. Why? 
Because the preacher doesn't just get up front and read a couple verses and go sit down. What does he do? He talks. He adds commentary. He gives his thoughts, his insights, right? And so they're going, wait, 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 Jesus, you just read from Isaiah. You can't just go sit down and say nothing. And so everybody, their eyes go to him. And they're watching him. You see this in your mind? You see it? So Jesus is sitting there going, hey, what are y'all looking at? What are y'all looking at? He began to say to them, you can just see this long pause. And you can just see every eye just dialed in. And you can hear everybody going, shh, 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 shh. And when it's perfectly quiet, he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it takes a while. It takes a few moments but it begins to settle in on the people, the people who were just praising him, saying, you're so funny, you're so good, you're so witty, you got it all together, yay, 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 yay. All of a sudden, it starts to register that, whoa, 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 what? Is he saying he's the Messiah? Is he saying he's the one that we should all be looking for? Because if you read the rest of the story, it only takes a few moments for the entire crowd to turn on him, and they start going, you're crazy. You are no David. You are no Moses. Aren't you the son of a, of a young lady named Mary? Don't we know who you are? Aren't you, aren't you like the son of a guy named Joseph, right? He's, he's Joseph's son. He's just a carpenter. What do you mean you're the Messiah? What do you mean today it's filled, it, it fulfilled with you coming and speaking in front of us? They're like, where is your plan to push Rome out? Where's your army? Where's your sword? Where's your great horse that's gonna lead us into battle? How are you going to deliver us? And friends, let me tell you something. Just like many people in this room today will walk through the doors of this church and you'll live most of your life and you'll hear all about Jesus, but you will miss him because you are expecting one thing, but he wants to do another thing inside of you. And the people of Israel, the people of the promised Messiah, utterly missed the Messiah. They they thought that their Messiah would come and he would conquer. They thought that their Messiah would come and, and bring deliverance with the sword and with might and with power and with armies. They thought that there would be this kind of freedom that was tangible where Rome would be pushed out. But Isaiah never said that. Isaiah promised a different kind of Messiah. Isaiah promised a Messiah who would be a suffering Messiah. And and the people of Israel looked at this and they said, no, 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 not our Messiah. Our Messiah is coming in the line of David and David never suffered. David was the great warrior. David was the great king. That's who our Messiah is gonna look like. And Isaiah comes along and says, no, no, no. He's gonna be in the line of David, but he's gonna have the heart of David. And he's going to carry the sword of David, but it's going to look different. It's not what you are going to expect at all. And so Isaiah begins to say that that the Messiah that is to come, he's coming, he's coming, but the Messiah that is to come is, is going to not look like the kings of this world and the emperors of this world and the kingdoms of this world and the empires of this world, but there will be a whole new kind of kingdom. You ready for the kind of kingdom that Isaiah says? You ready? Here's what he says. He says that the Messiah that is to come 
is going to be the kind of, of, of king who brings the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. And he's going to reign in your soul. And it will not be a reign with the sword. It will not be a reign with a power. But it will be a reign in a dominance through love. And through sacrifice. And through suffering. The kind of freedom he's going to bring is, is not an empire revolution. But it is a soul sort of revolution. And so what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, I just want to walk through just an entire chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. It's one of the most profound looks at the coming Messiah that, that has ever been written. And, and he begins to describe this, this Messiah who, who, would, who would be passionate and, and uh, purposeful and powerful in his work in our life. And it would be rooted in this kind of deep love for humanity, something utterly different than anybody ever thought would be possible. So you ready for this? We're going to go through Isaiah because I think it points to Jesus and you make that decision for yourself. But I think that the evidence is overwhelming. Listen to this. Isaiah begins in chapter 53 in the first verse. He says this, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah already begins to say, we're not sure anybody's going to believe this because you guys are so amped up on this king deliverer, this, this mighty warrior type of deliverer. In your mind, you're thinking he's going to come and shed a whole bunch of blood. I'm not sure any of you are going to believe what I'm about to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyways. <laughs> he says, verse two, he begins to describe this coming Messiah. Now listen carefully. It says that he grew up before him like a tender shoot. Now we just read from Luke chapter four in his hometown. Later it says his own hometown, they grew up right in front of him and they utterly reject him. They say, you're not that. You can never be our deliverer. But it says that he grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should, what, desire him. And Isaiah's like, you know what? You're used to this, like the emperor has a son and the son takes over the kingdom and the son takes the kingdom to whole new levels. You think of this ever-expanding earthly kingdom that is in the line of blood all the way through and he says, no, 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 no. With the Messiah, there's a different kind of glory. There's a different kind of crown. There's a different kind of kingdom. There's a different kind of army, but it's not what you're used to. Not what you're used to at all. He said, there's nothing that's gonna attract the world to him. There's no majesty. There's no glory. There are no parades. There's no big armies following him. There's nothing. Nobody's gonna be standing there shouting and shouting and praising. It's not gonna be like that at all. He says, this Messiah, listen, verse three, he, he was, what, what's he gonna be? He's gonna be despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. It's gonna be so bad, they're gonna turn from him, right? He was despised and he will be held in low esteem, right? And these people are going, you're not talking about our Messiah. Our Messiah is not gonna be down there. He's gonna be up there. He's gonna be high and lifted up. What are you talking about? Matter of fact, if you were to go back into chapter 52, just one chapter earlier, listen to this. He says in, in chapter 52, or verse 14, he says, just as there are many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. That doesn't sound like a mighty warrior king to me, does it? Does it sound like that way to you? Who does it sound like? Anybody in the room? Who does it sound like? 
Jesus. For those of us who are familiar with the story of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus, doesn't it sound just like it? Matter of fact, Luke, one of the writers who watched the whole deal, and John, one of the other guys who watched the whole deal go down, and he begins to write about this. They record that, that, they, that they beat him, and they mocked him, and they spat upon him. And, and, and listen, at one point it says that the New Testament guys who were kind of watching all this happen, they were kind of writing a firsthand account. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. They are tearing his beard from his face. And one of the writers writes that he is so disfigured that he's barely recognizable as a human being. 700 years earlier, Isaiah says there's, there's a Messiah coming who the whole world is going to be thought to as, as to be a, a shame, uh, that he's going to be down, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be mocked, but he's going to rise and he's going to deliver the people. He's going to do something in the people. Come on. You see... Isaiah was saying that God was going to use something totally unexpected to change this world because he wanted to make sure that no man would ever take glory for what he would do. He was not going to appoint a king of an army, of a great nation, of a great empire, because he wanted to make sure that the world knew that this wasn't another revolution of kingdom, but this was a revolution of soul that all kingdoms would be part of. Come on. All kingdoms. Amen? You hearing this? Uh, there was an article in National Geographic, it was a lot of years ago, it tells of, of, of a young man from Hanover, Pennsylvania, who was so badly burned in this boiler explosion. Uh, to save his life, it says that the doctors did multiple sur- surgeries and they covered virtually every inch of his body with new skin. 6,000 square centimeters of new skin on this guy's body. And he says that the only patch of skin that remained on his body from his original skin was about an inch. And they cultured that and they grew new skin and they, they layered it in with all these new skin grafts. Just a crazy, crazy thing. This guy was burned so bad. Later on, this young man who was burned was asked by a reporter this question. This, this is startling to me. It says that the reporter asked, do you ever think about the donor who saved your life? And the young man replied this, to be alive, quote, to be alive because of a dead donor is too big, too much, too hard to understand. So I don't even think about it. I just try to live. What did Isaiah say? He says, I'm not sure anybody's gonna get this. I'm not sure anybody's gonna fully understand because this is so hard to grasp that somebody would stand in your place, that there would be this suffering Messiah because he goes on to say this, verse four, follow along very carefully. He says, he says surely he took up our, what is this word? Our pain. And he bore what? Our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted by God. Have you ever heard of the idea of the passion of the Christ? Anybody? I'm not talking about a movie, by the way. It's a cool movie, but... but uh, I'm not talking about a movie passion. I'm talking about the passion that drove Christ. It's an old term. It's been around for centuries and centuries. That there was this passion that drove Christ. Now, when you think of passion, what do you think of? You think of a, somebody who's really into something, right? You think of a guy who's like crazy nuts about music, or you think about a guy who you look at him, you go, man, that guy's really passionate about his tattoos. He's got like 90 of them, you know? Like you look at these people and they're just passionate about sports. You know what I'm talking about? People, like, people think of passion and they think of somebody who's really into something, or you think of, of sex, right? I mean, let's just be honest. You know, you're pretty passionate about sex. It should be, you know, kind of a deal if, 
you're married, right, you know? Amen, okay? Uh, it's just true, right? But the kind of passion that, that drove Jesus was deeper than that. It was bigger than that. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you've heard this from me yet, but it says, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whoever would believe would not perish, but have eternal life. You want to talk about passion? The Holy Father. Let me tell you something. I'm a father of four, and I'm not giving up my children for anybody. I'm just not. But God had this passion that drove so deep in him and he, and he gives this passion to his son and he says, I will willingly give up my son for you, for me. And he suffers for us. That's passion, friends. And, and this is what we're gonna see. And if you don't remember anything else uh, that you take away from this uh, place today is this, is that his love for you is passionate and it is purposeful and it, and it is, it is uh, pursuing, it's powerful. And here it is, friends. Listen, you may wanna write this one down. He took your place to give you grace. He took your place to give you grace. And Isaiah tells us why. And here's why. This is what happens. Listen, he tells us the whole point of the suffering Messiah. Remember, they were looking for this king. They were looking for this warrior. They were looking for this guy who would conquer it all. And Isaiah says it's different than that. He says, verse five, but he, this Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. Have you ever heard this? Pierced for our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep who have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, the Messiah, this one who was to come, the iniquity of us all. Friends, this is the central message of the Christian faith. That you cannot be made right with God by your own action. The central message of the gospel is that you and I have this blackness of soul, that we have this destruction of soul. We have greed, we have lust, we have impurity, we have selfishness, we have darkness that fills who we are. And all of us know it to some degree or another. Every single person in this room, you don't need me or a pastor to come down there and knock some sense into you. You know that you have this blackness of soul in you. And the central message of the gospel says that that blackness of soul, because there's a God who is perfect, there's a God who is holy, there's a God who is righteous, that that sin inside of you and inside of me needs to be accounted for. It needs to be made right. It needs to be judged. Oh, oh, we shouldn't judge people. What? What? I mean, with your kids, right? I mean, if you're a good parent... You don't just go, oh, little Johnny, he likes to steal and lie. He does terrible things to his, his sister, but boy, he's such a good boy. Love that kid. What kind of parent does that? A good parent goes to little Johnny and says, I'm going to knock some sense into you. I love you, but you're not going to behave like this. I love you, but you're going to be different than this. I love you, and you're going to act the way you're supposed to act. And, he, and what does a good parent do? A good parent disciplines. A good parent calls into an account. Listen, a good parent judges the action of their kid. It doesn't make excuses for it. They don't. And God looks. And he sees your blackness. And mine, he sees the brokenness of this world 
and he sees your brokenness and he realizes the price of accountability for you and for me is too high. He says the wages of sin is death. He looks at me and says, Jeremy, you're never getting into heaven like that, pal. You'd ruin it for everybody else. But he loves me too much to let me pay the price on my own. And so he says, there is this suffering Messiah who would be pierced for my transgressions, my sin. He would suffer. He would be crushed for me, for you. That he would be held into an account instead of you. Pause. That's really good news. That's really good news. Anybody? That's really good news. This is what I'm talking about. He took your place so that he could give you grace. Do, do you remember that actor, Kevin Bacon? Is he even still around? I think he is. A uh, long time ago, when his son was six years old, he tells this little story of the time his son first watched the movie Footloose. That's what made him famous, right? And so he says his son is kind of watching. He's in and out of the room, kind of back and forth. His son's watching him. He's six years old, watching him on TV, right? And uh, finally, his son, after the movie, comes back and goes, Dad, Dad. How'd you do all that cool stuff? You were swinging from the rafters of that barn on that rope. It was so cool. How'd you do that? And uh, Kevin has to tell his son. He says, well, son, actually, uh, I didn't really do that. What? He goes, yeah, I, I had a stuntman who did that. What's a stuntman, Dad? Well, it's this guy who kind of looks like me and dresses like me and kind of talks like me and you know, when, when things get hard, he kind of comes in and he does the swinging and the falling and the tumbling so that I didn't have to. He goes, oh, okay, Dad. And then he comes back out a little bit later and goes, Dad, 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 what about that time when you were doing that dance thing and you were spinning on the floor and you were like amazing, but you were like a feet thing and it was just crazy. Dad, do that for me. And Kevin says, I can't, son. He goes, I never did that. What? You want? And he goes, no, no, that was a stunt gymnastic guy. A gymnast came in for me. What's that? Well, it's a guy who looks like me and kind of talks like me and dresses like me, but he knows what he's doing. And he can do all those fancy moves. And then he goes, the six-year-old says to Kevin, so dad, what did you do? And Kevin says this, and if this is to be believed, he says, I did nothing, but I got all the glory. But I got all the glory. Friends, this is a picture of God's grace. He stands in and he takes the fall. He gives us what we cannot give ourselves. He pays what we cannot pay ourselves. It's grace. He takes our place in order to give us grace. Now listen to this. It says in verse seven, listen to this. This is so powerful. This is a passionate kind of a love. This is, this is not the kind of love that you see in the world. This is a passionate, driven kind of a love. It, it says this, that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Anybody remember the Gospels? It says when they arrested Jesus, they held him into an account. They accused him of all kinds of false crimes. Y'all remember this? And what does it say, that he made a bunch of excuses? Did, did he point to you and go, no, no, I'm not guilty. He's the one who's really guilty. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm the only innocent guy around. These people are all innocent. No, it says that he remained silent because 
He was willingly taking it on for himself. Taking it on for himself. By, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet, one, yet, yet who of his generation protested? Remember when he was at the cross? What did it say? It said that he was utterly alone. All of his followers, all of his friends abandoned him. Turned to save their own skin. It says who from his generation protested his death? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was crucified. He was killed. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions. Why? For the transgressions. For who? For his what? People. For people. He was punished. This is passionate, purposeful, powerful kind of love. This is the coming Messiah that is not just global. He is personal. Isaiah is speaking of the coming Jesus who, who would stand in your place in order to give you Grace, uh, I read this little story of a guy named Steve Winger, such a cool name, Steve Winger. Um, and he, he was a uh, kind of like a, what they call a uh, logic student in college and he was only in his like bachelor's type of deal and it was a big test and he was in this final exam um, and, and it was like known to be very difficult. The professor was known to be extremely hard uh, but in order to kind of help the students out, the professor made this little deal with the students. He, he says uh, that, the professor says to the students of this logic class, he says, you guys can put any information that you can fit on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, a single piece of paper. You fill it up with as much information as you want. That will be your cheat sheet. I'll allow you one piece of paper and write whatever you want to write on there. So every student, they're cramming that thing in there. You're writing as tiny as can be, magnifying glass, the whole nine yards, right? All but one kid, Steve Winger. Steve Winger comes in, everybody's sitting down in their class, they all got their little cheat sheets, the professor's walking around getting it all together, and, and Steve's cheat sheet is totally blank, 100% blank. And the professor goes, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? I gave you a big opportunity here. Why wouldn't you prepare? And so he takes his little blank piece of paper and he puts it right on the ground. And then he calls his buddy in, who was an advanced logic student. Had him stand right on that piece of paper. Said, you said I can bring any amount of information I want as long as they can fit on that piece of paper. He fits on that piece of paper. Steve Winger was the only guy who got an A. Right? Listen, friends, the ultimate final exam comes when we stand before God. And if you're like me at all, you're not going to pass. I'm not going to pass on my own. God is perfect and holy and just, and true, and good. Seems like everything that I'm not. And my guess is, is that you know enough about you to realize it's true of you too. That there's enough darkness in you to drive you from God. But God does not want that distance. And so he stands in your place in order to give you grace. Listen to this, friends. He, he was assigned, verse nine, he was assigned the grave with the wicked and, and listen, listen, and with the rich in his death. Isn't this funny? Remember that Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb? You, you tracking all the prophetic words that he's given here? He says, he's looking forward and he goes, he's gonna be hung with wicked people. Who was on his right and his left? Common thieves, right? People who deserved to die in that day. They broke the law and he was hung with them. But he wasn't buried with them. It says that he was separated and a rich man named Joseph from Arimathea came and took up his body and took him to his own grave and buried him like a rich man. 
Incredible, right? And it says this, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet, listen, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and, and the will of the Lord will prosper. Remember, he, does, he didn't defend himself. He didn't bring you know, up any defense. He defended us. Powerful people swept him away, but real power comes when you lay your own life down. He was executed with criminals, and yet he was strangely buried in a rich man's tomb. He did nothing wrong, but literally he became sin for us. He, God, put our sin, your 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 sin, on video, your sin. Listen, he put all of our sin on Christ and then offered it once and for all so that you and me, we could be forgiven because sin doesn't need to be swept away. Sin doesn't need to be covered up. Sin needs to be forgiven in your life and in my life. It says that the will of the Lord will prosper. Now you look around the world, you don't think that's true though, right? So I read this little story. It was a story of a... uh, of a soap manufacturer and a pastor. And, they, and the pastor was reaching out to this soap rich guy, right? This guy at his big factory making all kinds of money and kind of a haughty spirit. And, and they're kind of touring around the town a little bit. And, and the, the soap manufacturer guy is kind of berating the pastor and kind of like, come on, man. All the work you're doing, all the you know, money you want to get out of guys like me, what good is it doing in our world? Our world is so jacked up and messed up. Are you crazy? What a waste of your life. He says, the gospel of which you speak has done very, very little in our world. <laughs> and so this pastor's kind of walking along and they're going through the city and some of the rough parts of the city and, and he eventually looks around and says, gee whiz, seems like there's awful lot of dirty people in the world. There's an awful lot of dirt in our world, isn't there? And then the pastor says, seems like your uh, soap isn't doing much of a good job either. And, and the, the factory owner guy, he kind of gets a little, you know, jaded by that. He's like, well, well, wait a second, wait a second. You've got to apply the soap in order for it to work. And the pastor says, well, you've got to apply the gospel for it to work as well. I mean, I tell my 10-year-old all the time, you actually have to put the soap on, right? And it's true. It's true. You look around at your own life. You look around at the brokenness of the world, and it's not just the world out there that's, that's screwed up. Your life is screwed up, and I'm going to guarantee you that every time you get away from God, things go down, not up. And then you go, no, 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 who you judge me? And I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, a matter of fact, I'll bet you money. Give it enough time, you get away from God, things will go down, not up in your life. Because things come unraveled very quickly in a broken world. And you're part of the broken world. And so friends, listen, don't miss this. This is the passionate, purposeful, powerful kind of love that says, I will stand in your place to give you grace, but you have to apply it to your life. You have to. Listen to what he says in verse 11. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Another translation, listen to this, listen to this. Another translation says, God the Father was pleased with the suffering of the Messiah. 
Now, you think God was pleased with his suffering son? No, no. Like, what father takes delight, like a guilty pleasure in seeing their child suffer? Anybody? No. What was it saying? It was saying that the result of salvation, the result of the kind of grace, the price that, uh, that Jesus paid for all of humanity was so good that it pleased the Father's heart. That the reward was worth the pain. That the reward was satisfying at a deep, deep level. And then it says this, by, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will, be justif- will, will justify many. In other words, if you come to him, he will justify you. He will make you right. Things will change in your life that you never thought could change. He says this, and he will, be, he will bear all of their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he will be poured, will, excuse me, because he poured out his life unto death. What happened at the foot of the cross? Anybody remember? The strong around him, they took his clothing, his spoils, and they divided it up. Anybody remember that? Anybody? Now check this out. It says, for he bore the sin of many, and he paid, he made intercession for the transgressors. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the Christian faith. For God so loved you. You and me he stood in our place and if we are careful to humble ourselves before him he will give us grace he will forgive our sin this is the kind of passionate love I think I need this is, this is the kind of, you want to know what, how passionate God's love is? Just look to the cross because it will tell you how long and how wide and how deep it is. It is long enough to reach after you. It is wide enough to include you and it is deep enough to give you kind of a life that is satisfying in your soul. He reaches towards you. He's passionate about it. He is purposeful. The purpose of the cross was to forgive you. The purpose of the cross was to fill you in a way that money and job and career and family and all the stuff of this world can't fill. That was the purpose of the cross, was to satisfy your soul, to pay your debt. Purposeful. And it's powerful to fill you and change you in ways that you never ever dreamed possible. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, better, better. I don't know what you're gonna do with it. I don't know. But this is the message of Jesus. This is the message of the Bible. This is the Christian faith. For those of us who believe It is the power of salvation. It will change your heart. It will change your soul. It'll change your life. But it is up to you to accept it or to reject it. God is a gentleman. He will never force himself on you. He calls you. He woos you. (laughs) He pleads with you. He suffered for you and put it on for the whole world to see. But he will never demand anything. You have to decide. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. So Father in heaven, um, 
would you just speak into this room right now? Um, God, I know it was probably not that good and kind of confusing at times, but somehow, God, would your spirit just sort it out and do a work in this room right now? Come on. Spirit of God, we ask that you would transform hearts right now. Maybe in this room, you're here and you just need to say, God, um, I see that you are the Messiah. Jesus, you are the one that the whole world has longed for. You are the deliverer. You are the rescuer. Maybe you just need to say, rescue me. Deliver me. The Bible says if you turn in your heart toward him, if you believe with the soul of who you are, and you confess it with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. God will stir something deep in you that you never thought could be stirred, that deadness inside of you, that hollowness that you go through life with every single day. He's gonna fill that in a way that catches you off guard. He says his spirit will come and take up residence inside of you. If you ask him, maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I am so sorry. I'm a sinner and I admit it and I need your help. I confess it all before you and I need your grace and your goodness to stand in my place. Father, would you speak to each one in this room? God, if there's any man or woman in this place that needs to be right with you and that... Um, that you're talking to, God, I pray that they'd be humble and they'd bow before you, God, right where they sit, that they would hear from you, Jesus. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.